So a news article, Polish man who climbed a tree to avoid a taxi fare, which totaled a few dollars, was pursued by the irate taxi driver. The passenger climbed a tall tree, jumped from branch to branch. He hurled bananas that he had in a shopping bag at the crowd that had soon gathered at the scene. More than a dozen firefighters were called in and spread out to an airbag under the tree as poli a police psychologist was sent to up the ladder bucket to negotiate with the man. After a two-hour standoff, the man agreed to come down. But he will have to pay many times the original taxi fare that he tried to evade. The last report was that the fire brigade was planning to send him a $4,300 bill for the rescue operation. In our text, we have a man by the name of Zacharias who also climbs a tree. One to see Jesus, who was passing by, and on the other hand, to hide from the people. And in our text and in this story, we see Jesus wanting to help him. And he calls him to come out of the tree and challenges him. And I'd like to take a look at this story with you. Amen. A message I've entitled, The Tree of Surprise. Luke 19, verse 1, then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. And yes, this is the same Jericho we read about in the Old Testament. Now behold, there was a man named Zacharias who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, so, for he was of short stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he saw him. And he said to him, Zacharias, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your home or your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, they all complained, saying, He is gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Then Zechariah stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I've taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today, Salvation has come to this house because uh, he also is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save that which was lost. So I want to consider with you, amen, the tax collector. His name is Zacchaeus. And give you a little background from uh, how things were then. This is not the internal revenue service. This is different. The IRS has set laws. They have clear rates. And, amen. But in the first century, amen, the Middle East is occupied by ancient Rome, and the Romans hired Jews to collect 
the taxes. There was a set amount from Rome. Above that, you got to keep whatever you could get. It was legalized robbery. These tax collectors could pressure, they could extort, uh, amen. They could take money from you and they would be supported and backed up by the Roman Empire and the Roman military. So the Jews considered tax collectors as the lowest of all occupations. This was an occupation that was despised by the Jewish people. These tax collectors were considered to be traitors because they were seen as collaborating with the enemy, which was Rome. They were also seen as dishonest and unrighteous and thieves. One story, amen, goes like this. So renowned for dishonesty that in one town, a statue was erected for an honest tax collector because they were so rare. Here's Zacchaeus. Somehow, someway, he hears about Jesus. The Bible says he was short. So he climbs a tree. He climbs a tree to get a better view of Jesus, but he also is hiding from people because he's a tax collector. He's safely watching without exposure. He's in a place where he feels safe, amen, both from people and from Jesus. But it's very interesting because the Bible tells us that when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he saw him. And he said, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down. Come out of the tree. Where was the introduction? Or could it be that Jesus really does know us? He knows our name. He knows the hairs on our head are numbered. We're hiding nothing. He didn't say, hey, you up there, get out of the tree. He didn't say, excuse me, sorry to bother you, but I need you to come down out of the tree. He didn't say that. He addressed him by name because he knew him and he knows who we are. See, on one hand, you and I cannot fool God. I don't care how slick you are, how well-programmed you are, amen. There's no way any one of us can fool God. Not only that, but the old cliche, you can run but you can't hide, is so true when it comes to the Lord. You can't hide from him. 
22 times in the Bible, it speaks of the eyes of the Lord. Amen. They run to and fro. Amen. They see anything and everything. The Bible says in Luke chapter 1, I saw Nathanael sitting under a tree. He said to the woman at the well in John chapter 4, go get your husband. She said, I don't have a husband. And he said, that's right. You've had five husbands, and the one you're with today, he's not your husband. He knew. Nothing was hidden. And it's very interesting today with technology, amen, you can't hide anything. These mysteries uh, and, uh, you know, the police uh, and that, they have means, uh, amen, to investigate. Uh, they can go, amen, anywhere in the World Wide Web and uncover phone records, uh, amen, where you've been, what you've done. You're hiding nothing. And the same thing is true with God. You're not hiding anything from him. He has eyes that can see. And here Zacharias is up in the air, obscured by the branches and the leaves. And amen, Jesus calls him out of the tree. We can go back to the book of Genesis. We find Adam and Eve, they've covered themselves in fig leaves, trying to, amen, think, you know what? God doesn't see us. He doesn't see what's happened here. He doesn't see what we've done. And a lot of times, uh, amen, we find this in our generation today, amen, the great pretenders, they pretend, they pretend, amen, to go to church. They pretend, amen, to do what God's asked them to do. They pretend, amen, while well, I look good, amen, and never thinking that God sees and God knows. In John chapter 8, the Bible tells us of religious men bring a dear lady caught in the act of adultery and they bring her before Jesus, hoping for judgment. And here Jesus doesn't say a thing. It's just amazing. But he begins to write in the sand the sins in their lives. And eventually every man disappears. And Jesus says to this dear woman, were your accusers? Go and sin no more. The Bible tells us in John chapter 8, they, uh, when they saw they were convicted in their own conscience and they went out one by one. The thing that ought to pique your interest here also is Jesus knew Zacharias' name, or Zacchaeus' name. I think he knows your name too, by the way. 
We are known by name. It's not, hey, you. It's not some generic invitation. He, amen, puts a name with the face. He knows where you're at. He knows what you're going through. And he knows what you need. One pastor was sharing this story of his uh, uh, wife and her sister in a department store looking for perfume. The girl behind the counter says, you girls look familiar. Where do I know you from? His wife said, oh, you've been to the door. She said she went for a few years, a little bit, uh, amen, almost 25 years ago when she was a little girl, but her stepfather stopped her from going to church. She said to them that that morning she had said to her brother, maybe we need to go back to church and hear this girl recognizes, even though it's been 25 years, girls from the church she used to go to. The one sister was looking for a flyer, and she had one flyer, amen, in her purse for healing. And the dear clerk at the perfume counter asked, can I be healed? And she said, sure, of what? I need my broken heart to be healed. Jesus does that and far more. If we'd simply get out of the tree. And the thing that is such a powerful testimony is that's the very thing that Zacharias did. He got out of the tree. So let's look at Jesus. He's in the house. In verse 5, Zacharias, make haste and hurry down. In other words, hurry up. Get down here. For today, I must stay at your house. Right now. So he didn't have time to go home and clean up his mess. He didn't have time, amen, to get into the kitchen and wash the dirty dishes. Uh, he didn't have time to dust the furniture, put things in place, uh, amen. Uh, no time to get ready for Jesus. So whatever was there, Jesus was going to see it. And you know, that's kind of how he wants it. He doesn't say to you and I, hey, when you get your act uh, straightened out uh, and things worked up, uh, when you get your life cleaned up, then I'll come over. I'll make time for you. Uh, amen. No, there's uh, a moment, uh, amen, that Jesus knocks on the door uh, and we need to respond. Doesn't matter the condition that we're in. Doesn't matter the things you're going through. Doesn't matter, amen, how messy the house might be. The thing that's interesting is when Jesus comes into the house, there's conviction. 
And here he enters a house, a mansion that probably was paid for by your taxes. By what he schemed and scammed and squeezed out of people. The dishonesty, the thievery. The Bible says in John 16, verse 8, when he comes, he will convict the world, amen, of guilt and regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. He'll bring conviction when he's allowed into our lives, amen, and into our circumstances and into our homes. In Hebrews 4, verse 12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So there are going to be times where Jesus comes onto the scene. He steps into our lives. He comes to our homes and uh, 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 there's conviction. We feel bad. That's good. We need to feel bad so we get it right. It's like pain. Pain tells us something is wrong. Pain tells something, it tells us, hey, you know what, there's something you need to fix. Pain tells us there's something, hey, amen, you can't continue to go on like this. That's the intention of conviction. You can't continue to live like this and be like this and act like this and live like this. It's not good. I've done a lot of work with the uh, police department. So one of the things about being a policeman is uh, you learn how to cuss and curse and swear real bad. Except when you're around me. And you can tell. Oh, I'm sorry, Pastor Eric. I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have said that. And, uh, and they tighten it up uh, and, uh, because there's conviction. You're in certain settings, and my wife and I will walk in, and all of a sudden, all the ladies are covering up. <laughs> a pastor's here. <clears throat> Cover up, girls. Conviction. A well-known professional golfer was playing in a tournament with President Gerald Ford and fellow pro Jack Nicklaus and Billy Graham. After the round was over, one of the other pros on the tour asked, hey, what was it like playing golf with the president and with Billy Graham? The pro said with disgust, I don't need Billy Graham stuffing religion down my throat. With that, he headed to the practice team. His friend followed, and after the golfer had pounded out his fury on a bucket of golf balls, he asked, was Billy a little rough on you out there? The pro sighed, sighed and said with embarrassment, no, he didn't even mention religion. 
See, Jesus wants to be with the Zacchaeuses of the world. In spite of who they may be or what they have done. And the lesson that we need to learn here is that Jesus loves sinners. Can you imagine that? The Bible tells us in verse 7, but when they saw it, they all complained. Another translation says they all muttered and bellyached, saying he has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. It's amazing to me, people, amen, even when Jesus tries to impact their life, they're disgusted with sinners. Ugh, ugh, nasty. But Jesus has a heart for sinners. The Apostle Paul said, of which I am chief. I'm a main player in the world of sinfulness. And Jesus Loves me. Let me talk to you about Jesus in the heart. Because having Jesus in your heart is not automatic. It's not because we live in the United States of America. It's not because we, amen, live in a Christian nation or we're raised in church or we believe in the Bible. See, Jesus offers himself. He doesn't offer you and I rituals and regulations. Uh, he offers you and I himself. And it's our choice whether we're going to respond or not. Again, in verse 5, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down. For today, I want to stay at your house to the church in Laodicea in Revelations chapter 3, verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. He offers himself, not just as a friend, not just as a do-gooder, not just as someone that can take care of your life and your sins and the condition that you're in. He offers himself as a savior because he would pay the price for our sin on a tree. If you were the only individual to ever live, Jesus still would have died. For you. But he died for all of humanity. He paid the price for our sin. A dear lady by the name of Debbie Johnson in 1994. Debbie was diagnosed with cancer. And about eight months after that, she died. But she didn't have to die. They caught the cancer early on. All they had to do was give her radiation and chemotherapy, but she wouldn't take it. Two months before she was diagnosed with cancer, she was found out that she was pregnant with her third child. 
And the treatment for cancer would have killed the baby. So she said no cancer treatment. She went full term, gave birth to that baby, and then she died. She died so that the baby could live. Jesus died so we could live. And when Jesus comes into our lives, we must change. What we have in our culture oftentimes today is Jesus isn't in your heart, but nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. See, if Jesus is really in our hearts and our lives, things will change. Things will change powerfully. When I got saved, as I've oftentimes shared, I got saved on a Tuesday evening in a revival. On Wednesday morning, I woke up and I could not curse, cuss, or swear, or use the Lord's name in vain. Boom. My entire way I talked changed. From there, I walked out of the nightclub scene. I had spent uh, several years, uh, amen, uh, and uh, I never looked back, never went back, and have yet to return, and don't intend to. Changed. Started going to church. I was not raised in church. I'd never read the Bible. Amen. I knew very little about church and what was uh, uh, supposed to go on and what was to happen. I started going to church all the time. My life revolved, my entire schedule, my day, amen, revolved around, uh, amen, church. I remember uh, when Brenda and I first got married, we, she would pick me up from work uh, on Wednesday evenings. We'd go to the laundromat, sit there and do our laundry and eat uh, uh, tuna sandwiches, uh, amen. And so we'd knock out dinner, knock out the laundry, and still make it to church on time. My life changed. So when it comes to problems and setbacks and failures and sin, things change. And listen to what happened here. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I've taken anything from anyone... By false accusation, I'm going to restore fourfold. Something powerful, something wonderful has transpired. Amen. He's a tax collector. Amen. He handles money. He says, if I, I'm going to restore, I'm going to, if I rip somebody off, I'm going to pay him back. I'm going to take care of that. Amen. I'm going to change the way I collect and what I do with my money. Bible tells us in Matthew 7 that we'll be known by the fruits that we produce. And so when Jesus comes into our lives, things change. From start to finish, amen, our entire lives basically are turned upside down. We are new creations, amen. If anyone be in Christ, he is a new creation. 
Creation speaks of something that is brand new. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. All, not just some, not just a little, amen, but uh, amen, something dynamic, something powerful, something wonderful that has long-term ramifications. And then salvation is a passing opportunity. Because the thing that stands out here is the Bible says in verse 1, Jesus, uh, then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. He's passing through. He will never go this way again. He's on his way to Jerusalem and the cross. And if Zacchaeus had delayed or simply put it off for another time or another day, he may have never gotten another opportunity. He would have had to chase after Jesus, follow him to Jerusalem, hope that once again he could catch his attention. The challenge put before us is that we really do need to respond when God says so. Not when you finally make up your mind. Not when you finally get around to it. We have to respond when God says so. In 2 Corinthians 6, verse 2, for he says, I have heard you in a time accepted, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Now. Well, what about tomorrow? What about next week? No, the Bible says now. I still remember sitting through my first altar call and thinking to myself this very thing. What if I never get a chance, another chance? What if I don't feel what I feel tonight? And that was one of the things that prompted me, amen, uh, to respond to the altar call. And if you do respond, just like Zacchaeus, you'll have a new life. In 1898, a young bank clerk by the name of William Snyder Porter was convicted of embezzling money from, uh, from a bank in which he had worked. He spent the next three years in prison. In prison, Porter was determined to change his life. He began writing short stories to earn money for his family. One of his prison guards, a man by the name of Oren Henry, encouraged William Porter. He believed that the former bank clerk could make a fresh start after his release. One day, the prisoner asked the prison guard for an unusual favor. Could he have Oren Henry's name? You see, a new man starting a new life needed a new name. Orrin Henry graciously agreed, but he made William Porter promise that he would take good care of that name. 
1901, after the, his release from prison, William Snyder Porter became a well-known writer. He wrote 381 short stories that are considered classics in English literature. You may have heard of his reformed, of this reformed writer yourself because his pen name is O. Henry. New life, new name, future. And I asked you this evening, how about you? This story is here to inspire us and to challenge us. Today is the day of salvation today. It's a difference maker. A new life. A future. Oftentimes a fresh start. I know what it did for me. I know what it's done for countless others. And I know it can transpire in your life. Make haste. Get out of the tree. Today, I've come to your house. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, no one looking around, no one moving around just for a moment.